that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered his, all of his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until the donkey's head was sold for eight shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. That sounds like a nice meal. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Though the kindness of Elisha and the king of Israel changed the hearts of the Syrian raiders, it did not change the heart of the king of Syria. He launched a large, full-scale attack against his neighbor to the south. He used a common method of attack in those days against the securely walled cities. He besieged Samaria. A siege was intended to surround a city, prevent all business and trade from entering and leaving the city, and to eventually starve the population into surrender. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he finalizes chapter 6 and begins chapter 7 in the book of 2 Kings. All right, let's open our Bibles. To Second Kings, we're going to finish chapter six and do all of chapter seven tonight. Second Kings, chapter six. You remember last week we looked at this ministry of Elisha the prophet, and in chapter six we saw him performing the miracle of retrieving the axe head out of the Jordan River. Remember the. The, the prophets, the school of the prophets that Elisha had founded, or at least Elijah had, and Elisha was continuing that tradition, they became uh, too, too many so to, to gather into one place. So one of them came up with the idea, well, why don't we go and build another place down uh, near the Jordan where the, where the trees are? And so they go together and they do that. They do that very thing. They cut down the beams and the rafters and they get things going. But in the process of that, they lose the axe head that was borrowed and uh, the Lord put it upon uh, Elisha's heart to throw in a a, a shrub or a, a branch of some kind and the axe head floated. And wouldn't you agree with me that that defies logic? It defies physics. It defies the natural And that's the God we serve. We serve a God who is outside of time. We serve a God who made all of the laws of nature. He made gravity. And he can choose at will to defy those things. And he has shown himself and shown us in his word that he can do those things. So really, the question to all of us tonight is, is there anything too hard for God? Yeah, there isn't. There's nothing too hard for him. He he can't he can't build a rock. He can't make a rock that he's he can't, you know, people say, "Oh, what one thing what, what you know, what can't God do? You know, can he make a rock so heavy that he can't lift it up?" You know, and that kind of stuff is just dumb, you know. So if anybody tells you that to say, "You know, that's a really dumb question." Love you, but 
Not such a smart question. So we saw that, and then immediately on the cusp of that, we see that the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And remember that as he was doing that, his battle plan was being made known to Elisha the prophet. And Elisha was telling the king of Israel, whose name was Joram, uh, he reigned from 852 to 841 B.C., and the king of Syria became really perturbed by this, thinking that somebody, there was a mole in the midst of his, of his army. And so he examines the army, and they say, no, we, we've done nothing of the sort. But understand this, there's a prophet in Israel who knows the very things that you're saying in your bedchamber. And so what does the king do? He gets uh, flustered, frustrated, and he's like, well, we're going to go take this guy out. We're going to go kidnap him. So he gets a, a group of men, not his entire army, but just a subset of that army. They go down uh, to where Elisha was living, and they surround the house. And remember, Elisha's servant, who was not Gehazi at this point, this, this has to be a different servant of Elisha's at this time. But the servant came out at night and saw that the the town, the area where uh, Elisha was staying was surrounded by the Syrian, uh, a, 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 a portion of the Syrian army. And the Lord gave to Elisha this understanding and this vision of the army that was surrounding them. <laughs> and I always like that because, you know, we always size things up in the natural and God gave to Elisha this supernatural understanding and he saw the chariots of the horses and the chariots of fire surrounding the Syrian army and so Elisha said, Lord, I pray that my, you know, you'd open my servant's eyes to see that. And sure enough, the Lord does, and he sees it. And all of a sudden, we realize that greater is he that is with us than he that is in the world. Amen? And so here's a practical um, understanding of that New Testament scripture back in the Old Testament. Because God has not changed. He's not, he, he, he hasn't changed at all. He's the same God. And you know, before we get into this next section in verse 24, um, well, actually, let me finish the, the story of what happened here. And by the way, I say story, but you know that it's not a story. This is real history, right? I always like to make mention of that because we often say story, and a story is, to me, something fictional. But there's nothing fictional about this. This really happened in history. And so after this... Um, as the army started to descend down upon Elisha and his servant, he calls on the Lord and he strikes the men with blindness. And so here they are trying to, they're blind, they can't get anywhere. And they finally get to Elisha. And Elisha says, this is the wrong town, the wrong place. Everything is wrong about this. Let me take you where you need to be and the man that you need to see. And so he leads the Syrian army, a portion of it anyway, to Samaria, the capital of the northern ten tribes, where the whole army is amassed because that's where the king is dwelling in the capital city. And so finally, they get them in there, and the Israeli army is surrounding them now. And then, the, and then Elisha says, Lord, open their eyes. And the Lord opens the Syrians' eyes, and they see that, uh-oh. <laughs> and then the king, Joram, says, Father, Father, should we kill them? Should we kill them? This is a perfect opportunity. It's going to be a slaughter. And basically, Elisha says, um, like Jesus said to his disciples, remember when his disciples said, Lord, should we call down fire on this town in Samaria? And he goes, you don't know what spirit you're of. Did the Son of Man come to destroy or to save? And Elisha, 
in an Old Testament way, said, no, don't destroy them. Set food before them, feed them, and then send them home to their master. And that's exactly what they did. And, 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 and what I just shared with you is important because as we get down into uh, verse uh, 23, notice, it says, Then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. But notice the very next verse. And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. That seems like a a contradiction, doesn't it? I mean, read those two verses back to back. Forget the little heading that you see in your new King James Version Bible because the, the King James doesn't have that little heading that's nicely there for us. But notice... Verse 23, the very last sentence. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel because of this kindness that was shown to them. And then the very next verse, and it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. Seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? One thing that we have to remember is between verses, there can be quite a bit, quite a bit of time. And this is one of those instances. Probably not a great amount of time, but um, I don't know what time there was, but there was a time interval in between verse 23 and verse 24. You might want to just make note of that. Otherwise, this doesn't make sense. Because Ben-Hadad is a title. It's not a name. Like you and I, I mean, Ben-Hadad, that sounds like his first name was Benjamin and Hadad was his last name, but it's really a title. It literally means son of Hadad, son of Hadad. Hadad was the Syrian false god that they worshipped. And so there was Ben-Hadad, and then there was Ben-Hadad, his son. And so there's at least two Ben-Hadads, maybe even a third one, but that's a title of the king. Of, of, of Syria was Ben-Hadad. And there can be one, there was definitely at least two, maybe three different men that were named Ben-Hadad. One died and the other one t- took his name. Follow me? So it can be a little interesting. But notice in verse 24, we're going to read down through ver- uh, 7 verse uh, 2, and then we'll go back and take a look at it. Notice, and it happened after this, that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered his, all of his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it until the donkey's head was sold for eight shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. That sounds like a nice meal. Then as the king of Israel passed by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And then the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. And so we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman that he tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. And then he said, God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphath, remains on him today. Now in verse 32, underline two words, or circle them, but Elisha. (laughs) 
But Elisha, what was he doing? He was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was, there was the messenger coming down to him. And then the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? And then Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Tomorrow about this time, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And so an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. You shall not eat of it. And what an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. You know, it's one of the things that we need to see in this chapter is just how good God is. God is gracious, and God is loving, and God gives many chances. Some, for some people, he seems to give a lot of chances. Other people, it seems like he gives that many chances, and others, many more opportunities. And, and God, do you understand the grace of this? You know, many people think that the, the, the God of the Old Testament is this God of anger and rage, just ready to smash people. But Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God the Father, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not, he's not, hasn't changed. And as we look through the Old Testament, and here's a good example tonight, if, if we'll see it, and I think I'm going to bring it out, and I know you will, just to see how gracious God is to his people. A people that have rebelled against him. And we're talking about the northern ten tribes now, not even the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. The northern ten tribes had never ceased from their idolatry. From the time Jeroboam began his reign and made the two golden calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan up in the north, they never ceased to worship Baal and all of these other false gods. They never ceased it. They never ceased from doing it. And yet here is God issuing an olive branch, if you will, throwing a bone to them to bring them back, to woo them, if you will, to himself again. Because the God of Baal is the God of fertility, the God of the storm, the God of the plains, the God of the agriculture. And so they look to Baal for everything. And all along as we've been going through First uh, and Second Kings, you see God making a mockery of their God because their God cannot do what God can do. Only God can call fire from heaven. Only God can heal. Only God can perform these miracles. Only God can open the eyes and see the supernatural. Only God can do that. There's no other being in the universe. And no, Satan can't either because he's not equal with God. He's not equal with Jesus like the Mormons believe. Can you believe that? Can you imagine serving? Uh, you know, anyway, so it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But God is a God of grace, and he's the same today for us. Regardless of how you've blown it this week, regardless of what sin, that whatever that you're struggling with, maybe an addiction of some kind, i got to tell you that God still loves you, and he is still on the throne, and he's still wooing you. He still wants to win your heart. And until you take your last breath, that's going to be God's policy toward you. 
But we must never continue in sin and play fancy and foot loose with it because God also can judge. And I don't know when he does that. There, there have been Christians that are, are born-again believers, but they have a struggle with cocaine, and they just won't give up the coke. They won't give up the heroin, and they're stuck in it. And, they, and they, for whatever reason, they haven't got on their knees. They, they, they don't even want to give it up. And then God allows them to get a hot shot, and they're dead. And that person goes to heaven. To save the soul, he destroys the body. Sometimes that happens. So we don't know where that line is. We should never flirt with God. And, and there's an invisible line for each of us. And, and I, I pray that I never get close to the line. I, I think before I came to Christ, I was hopping and skipping, doing the double dutch with that line, not even realizing how in much danger I was in. I had so many opportunities when I was younger to die. So many. And yet God preserved me, and I have no idea why. Probably to irritate you people. <laughs> he spared my life so that I could be a, a thorn in your, in your shoe. No, I'm just kidding. But he's a good God. He's a good God. He's extended grace. And you're going to see him doing the same thing. Look at verse 24 again. It says, you know, it happened after Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered his army, went up and besieged Syria. Again, notice how fickle he is. Because remember, in the fifth chapter, wasn't it Elisha who healed his commander of the army? Remember Naaman, who had a leprosy and he healed his, his commander of his army? God did that. He did that through Elisha. And then also in chapter 6, just as we read, a portion of the Syrian army is spared destruction as they stood before Israel, blind in their capital city, with all of the army of Israel surrounding them. Easy prey. It would have been an easy cleanup operation. But it seems that mercy and grace only lasted for so long for the king of Assyria, or king of Syria, excuse me. But then the old man comes out of the box again. Do you have an old man that likes to come out of the box every now and then, even as believers? Is there, is there some thing that you're harboring, some pet sin maybe of yours, and you're good for several weeks, maybe even two weeks, maybe a month, and all of a sudden it just rears its head and it catches you by surprise and you, found you, you find yourself in, in some great temptation, whatever that vice is. It could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be some sex addiction. And boy, it does. It comes and it rears its head. It's never going to give up. It will never give up. However, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. However, God's grace can get you through that difficulty. What do you do when you're, uh, what, what you going to do when it comes for you, you know? Bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? You know, what, what, what do you do? You drop to your knees. You do whatever you got to do to escape. You do whatever you got to do. But it seems like for all that God had, did, had done for the king of Syria and all that God has, has been doing for the kings of Israel, every succession of those kings, God has issued olive branches and tried to minister to them. 
But notice, there was a great famine in Samaria, verse 25, and they besieged it, which means they surrounded the city. Instead of going in and just obliterating it, depending on the army and its condition, one of the things they would do is just surround a city with the army and just wait and camp out and eat and have you know, fires at night and sing songs with their guitars. And you know, they're just waiting, they're starving them out. So the, the people can't come out of the city, they can't get water, they can't get food, and so eventually they just starve to death. And then they go in when they're weak. And these guys are living high in the hog out in the field because they're slaughtering cattle and having steak every night, eating well, and, and they're all full of iron and, and everyone else is just emaciated and wasting away to nothing. And it was an effective way of warfare. But notice, it got so bad that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. This is called hyperinflation. It almost sounds like today, doesn't it? Yes, but I'll, I won't go there. Now, a donkey's head is one thing, but a cab of dove droppings? There's a particular seed pod that comes from a particular plant, and it's named dove droppings, or sparrow, sparrow's dung. It's, a, it's an herb known by the Arabs called herba alkali. And it could have been this, uh, a pint of these seeds from this particular plant that they would use for food. It could be that. Or it could be literally dove dung because they would often use dung for fires. You know, you could put that in your fire and it was like fuel because there's enough methane in there. You just light a match and you know what happens. So um, these things uh, they use. So whether it was the plant or the dove dung itself, we don't really know. But notice, then the king of Israel was passing by on the wall and he sees the woman. Lord, help, help me. And he's like, if the Lord doesn't help you work, how can I help you? And you can see here the king of, uh, of Israel just obviously at his wit's end. He's despondent. And he's seeing everything that's going on. His heart is just melting inside, knowing that his death is imminent. And he's wasting away just like everybody else. And then the king said, what's troubling you? And then he gives the story about the woman boiling her son. And, um, and it happened when the, and then the, the, the two women were arguing because they ate the one woman's son, but then the next day the other woman didn't want to give up her son. I mean, think of how desperate you have to be to... Eat an infant. And then he, they see as he goes by that, that they can see that he's got sackcloth underneath himself. And he tore his clothes because uh, of that horrible situation uh, that was happening to them. And, and perhaps he remembered what God had said a long time ago in the book of Leviticus. And I want you to write a couple scriptures down next to this. It's in Leviticus chapter 26, but specifically verse 29, and write down also Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 49 through 53. Deuteronomy chapter 28, 49 through 53, but first let me read to you Leviticus 26. Now, uh, or 27, or 20, yes, Leviticus, tw- <laughs> Leviticus 26, verse 27 through 29, I'll just read it to you. This whole entire chapter in Leviticus is, is, is God basically upbraiding the children of Israel for their disobedience and their idolatry. 
And this is just one part of it. And perhaps the king of Israel, Joram, is probably, maybe he's thinking, maybe something is clicking in his mind when he sees these women arguing over their sons about who's going to cook their son next. Because it said in Leviticus 26, verse 27, And after all this, if you do not obey me, the Lord says, but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chasten you seven times for your sins. And here it is. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. This is the judgment that you are going to experience. That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.